TBH, I'm worried I'm going to sound like Weird Al during that scene in UHF where he describes the Roadrunner Coyote cartoon. Okay. It's about the stupid idiot coyote and the sadistic Roadrunner. This horrible failure of a life. Morty. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shroom for Two, where we are eagerly awaiting a balance patch under the Christmas tree. I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. And yeah, welcome to our last show before all I will be talking about is the new Smash Brothers, which comes out today. That's right. Today for uh, Future Mike. So Future Mike will be jamming some Smash Brothers. Yeah, and uh, present Mike will just have to keep playing uh, other uh, Pokemon games. I bought Pocket during Black Friday, so I've been playing a bunch of that. Do you have any characters uh, in new Smash Brothers that you're excited about? Uh, the Piranha Plant. <laughs> Piranha Plant is cool. I'm excited that the kid squids are in it because Splatoon is really cool. Yeah, I, I had fun with Splatoon. It'll be good to play with them again. I have a friend who's really, really excited about beating people up as Isabel, so I'm really happy for her. Okay. Yeah, seems good. What was the other big um, surprising inclusion? Uh, Snake being back. Well, I know there was, like, not Banjo was something people thought was going to be... It, was it Banjo that everybody thought was going to be in it and then he wasn't? Oh, Ridley. Or was that somebody else? Ridley's the one Rid- that everyone freaked out about. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, fun times. But uh, let's talk about some other fun times, namely in the tournament where I finally got knocked out in the top eight. Top eight's nothing to sneeze at, though. Congratulations. Yeah, I look forward to collecting my uh, tournament circuit points for qualifying purposes, and congratulations to Fashionista for knocking me out. And a special thanks for not banning Rose, so I could finally try out the uh, secret aggro Rose deck that I've been playing around with for the last couple of weeks, which there's a video up on that on our YouTube page, Shrimp for Two Podcast, as well as the other two fights where I lost. Oh, you won with the Rose deck? I did. I won with the Rose deck, and then I made the mistake of putting out my Smash deck next, because I knew they were going to play Wall Knight, and I wanted to put in Sneezing Zombie to block any kind of healing strategy. Okay. But I played around Cobb Cannon, I played around Briar Rose, I did not play around Walnut Bowling, and I got I got ramped and Walnut Bowled and just super Walnut Bowling punched. is a big, nasty haymaker that um, I rarely see coming for precisely the reason you said. There are a lot of other big, nasty things to do in those colors, and uh, Walnut Bowling can really take your head off if you don't see it coming. Definitely off-meta enough, and there was a lot of ramp in that deck, and I really should have seen it coming. And honestly, I wish I had played Trickster Valkyrie Brainstorm instead. But I was really just kind of like, oh, man, what if there's Wingnut? But uh, alas. I mean, Wingnut would very plausibly be an inclusion in that deck. But I mean, you know, any ramp deck is just as likely to contain something like Astro Vera or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. Pick, pick your poison. Exactly. A lot of big, exciting stuff going on in Solar. Um, but that's good that you got to uh, trot out the Aggro Rose deck. We kind of got scooped on that. Members of our Discord uh, will remember that Justini actually posted a um, write-up of a Smarty Aggro package on the Reddit a few weeks ago. Something very similar to that was the core of this Aggro Rose deck that we were keeping under our hats until we could reveal it on the show. Yeah, um, and as well as the engine of a lot of my Beta Caratina decks in Fight Club. We'll devote a full segment to it in the future, but you know, you've know you got uh, you know Elderberry and Rotobega and kind of other hard hitters um, alongside the really solid creatures that go into a Rose deck like apple saucer and sporticus but then you've also got like haunted pumpkin as a way to um to chip in early damage um and then like haymakers to finish it off like tricorn 
Yeah, Tricorn's a really nice finisher at the top end. I went a little more uh, traditional meta and ran a uh, ramp package of Solar Winds, Briar Rose, and Cobb Cannon. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, so especially in the face of eventual nerfs coming down, um, I'm very interested to see kind of where kind of rogue decks like this um, end up in uh, terms of jockeying for ladder points. Um, and so I think you can expect to see quite a bit of this coming up. So um, we'll put the write-up in the show notes and uh, check it out on our um, on our YouTube page. Yeah, and to round out my, uh, my Lost Fashionista, I got steamrolled by Boogaloo in that aerobics instructor got um, secret agented on turn two, Ooh. or on turn three, and then on turn four it was uh, aerobics instructor synchronized swimmer. Oh man, that's nasty. And I couldn't recover. Yeah, the, and the way I tried to deal with the aerobics instructor was throwing a pear cup in front of it because I didn't manage to draw any of my primal potato mines. But yeah, having that get secret agented and then hit their block meter for one a bunch put me in a oh man that's even grosser you yeah. i got i got super blown out by secret agent and walnut bowling and you know what i can't really even be mad about that like you're not going to be able to tech your deck to stop every single threat possible even if you know what hero you're facing and so congrats to fashionista a free-to-play player mind you so that walnut bowling might have been the only one in the deck <laughs> but uh yeah congrats who and they are still in the tournament in the last five remaining as of recording this so yeah uh Good luck to Fashionista, and maybe you'll take on Lucian, who knocked me out in the last tournament, who won the winner's bracket. Excellent. Yeah, that um, that should all be wrapped up by the time we do the next show. Maybe it'll even be done in time for Future Mike to add a little um, thing about who ended up winning. Nah. But yeah, so one last thing in this first segment here that I wanted to call attention to that will also be done by the time you hear the show. There is a, a pretty cool series on the Reddit right now by a poster called LGTYQZ. Can't really um, discern any meeting or acronym happening there. Um, um, but so they have a series called 12 Days of Budget Decks that are um, pretty strong write-ups of, of good free-to-play deck packages. Um, and so, you know, it could be aggro stuff. This one that came out today is a Zomblob concept. So that's like, you know, a lot of weenies, Medulla Nebula, Brain Vendor doing that. And I think that that is a, um, a very interesting series. Um, someone who is into deck building would probably enjoy that series quite a bit. Um, and we wanted to call attention to it because, hey, good on you for making some cool content. Yeah, I'm always really happy when I see people contributing budget decks because I always feel kind of guilty for not trying to have more of my decks be cheaper. Like, I, I feel like a lot of sure. the decks I share end up being kind of on the pricey end with a bunch of event cards and legendaries. And, like, it's good to know that there's a, there's quality deck recipes coming out there from uh, other parts of the community. Especially ones that um, receive the kind of exhaustive deck-building attention where you, like, talk about what to mulligan for, talk about what kind of stuff you want for different matchups. These write-ups have been pretty good in that regard as well. So for people who kind of want to pull back the curtain and see kind of the gears behind the thinking of what makes a good deck, um, these are very good for that, too. And now the long-awaited return of Card of the Week, and we got a great one this time, one of the best event cards ever to come out. We have the Pear Cub, the Three Sun 1-1 as a guardian card, a fruit animal plant, amphibious, and when you destroy it, make a 5-4 grizzly pear there. Yeah, buddy. This card's phenomenal. It was phenomenal the second it came out. It's still great. It has only gotten better with added things like Galactic Cactus and Fireweed. Definitely. Um, if you've been a longtime listener of this show, you'll know this was one of the card combos uh, we first fell in love with on the show. 
Um, the Galactic Cactus Grizzly Pear combo is pretty hard to go wrong. And um, yeah, we uh, our love affair with it has kind of died down. We have had other things to talk about in the intervening time, but there's no time like the present to return to it. So tell me about this deck you got here, Mike. All right. Well, uh... is it literally four pear cubs, four cactuses, autofill, or is that just like what you said? No, that's what happened. That's what I did about 20 minutes before you called me because I realized I hadn't put any thought into doing a card of the week deck yet and I wanted to do something a little bit different and off meta so I said okay let's get a little weird with this one because we've talked about a lot of good decks containing this card throughout the history of the show and I wanted to see just how uh how hard could you autopilot and have the deck still be good pretty much yeah and uh, so, so um the deck here which is in the show notes is not that far off than one I would make it's running a lot of uh Anti-meta cards I played a lot of in Fight Club, such as Jumping Bean and Brainana and Shrinking Violet. Uh, I probably wouldn't run this weird half a bean package it has going on, but... Uh, I would be running the Pluridons. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be running the So Magic Beans and the Bean Counter. And uh, I think we might disagree on this, but I think that 4x Shrinking Violet, 4x Brainana is probably going a little too deep. Um, seems a little slow and clunky, but honestly, like... The powerful cards in this deck will carry you through a lot of games, and I bet that you could just kind of autopilot this through the ladder and do pretty good. I like how the uh, autofill AI was smart enough to not put Admiral Navy Bean in a deck with Galactic Cactus, but it decided to give me Rotobega, just for yeah. that little bit of extra uh, do one damage sentry. Thankfully, I'm Citron, though, so I have a way of making things uh, indestructible or giving them more health. Um, I'd probably run Photosynthesizer, but that almost goes without saying at this point. Probably instead of the Bean Counter and the Somatic Beans. Uh, fun fact, I only have two Bean Counters. which goes to show what I think is power level. I agree with you on the Shrinking Violets. I would never run four of them in any deck, I don't think. The four Brainanas, I could make, an, make a case for if you're really trying to clamp down on Trick Meta and Environment Meta, and you want the consistency of being able to have one in your hand at the end of, like, a big tempo build-up for the first five turns? This highlights, I think, what a good strength of the Guardian class is. That meat and potatoes two to four range is where a lot of the power points of the Guardian class is put. Something like Pear Cub is kind of in the same category of thing as, say, Three Nut or Sporticus or Plantern or Go Nuts or even Health Nut. I would say, and then you got, you know, Triceratops below that and uh, stuff like Starch Lord and Snapdragon above that. You've just got like really, really solid stuff to play in the middle of the game that are like going to put you ahead unless your opponent has an above average play to make. And I think that goes a long way towards uh, showing why these mid-rangey Guardian decks um, are so good at dominating the board because they've just got some real heavy hitters packed in at some pretty low costs. That's probably the biggest obstacle to me running Pear Cub in more decks is just the abundance of other good choices for three-cost cards. Like, I've talked about how much I love Plantern before, and, you know, obviously not in this deck because there's no environments, but Plantern is often a card I will go with because I'm usually running an environment of some kind, and Health Nut, if I'm running Photosynthesizer, has a little bit of extra viability, And but, you know, Pear Cub's awesome. Like, even though it has lost a little bit of love from the show, it never lost any respect. Oh, yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, there really hasn't been very much printed that, like, really, really screws it. I think that, like, the closest thing you get to that is, um, like, the Bounty Hunter or, say, um, Ancient Vampire. That 4-3 zombie. The, yeah, I mean, so stuff with Frenzy, 
will will wreck it pretty hard. But specifically, the vampires and the bounty hunter like wreck it super super hard because you get an additional value even on top of your two for one. Um, and so like, yeah, those are bad, but those are also pretty clunky threats to have a lot of, um, the, the kind of beastly decks that want to play cards like that are also the kind of decks that want to Voltron up a big creature, um, or kind of like sink their mana into something expensive, which guardian decks are pretty well suited to deal with. Um, you got sham rocket within the guardian class, you also have some other stuff like Doomstream that you don't see too often. But then in the Smarty Guardian combo specifically, um, you got stuff like bouncing their zombie. Um, you can freeze it and stuff. The fact that there are answers to the things that really answer Pear Cub gives some uh, clues as to its resilience. Uh, and one of the most effective ways to deal with Pear Cub is to not kill it somehow such as right. Fashionista did with Secret Agent, as I talked about earlier. Or if you have, say, a smoke bomb and you want to get your mermaid imp out of the water lane because he's about to do a sick trade, then that just turns into a 1-1 that hits your water lane, and that's a good thing for you, and then you just kind of got to rely on them not drawing cactus. Pear Cub is one of those creatures where, like, it's going to go in decks that want to kill it. Like, the fact that you're getting this big, beefy thing off of a death trigger means that it's not quite as proactive as just having a three-cost 5-4 amphibious, you know, which is what it is in the long run, but it is, like, quite a bit closer to that than if something more restrictive was in the way. Like, it's pretty easy to kill a 1-1, um, and there are a lot of things in card games that cause one damage to be dealt to a thing, and uh, certainly this game, uh, you got plenty of options to do that on the plant side, and yeah, this card is excellent. I like that it is a creature that immediately spawns another creature when it dies. Like, I think that is a really interesting... Like, rather than putting it in your hand? Yeah, yeah, just a, another axis cards can be balanced on as far as, like, what they do when they die. And this is the high end of those effects, probably for sure, you know, especially for a, a cost of only three. Like, usually most of the went powerful when killed effects are on, like, uh, the seven cost or something like that. But this is a, a fantastic mid-range card. And they can go in all kinds of things. And I'm theory crafting an amphibious beta Caratina deck when the bog changes roll out. And this card's definitely in that because it becomes a 3 1 and then a 7 4. Yeah, man, that seems pretty sweet. It's not bad to get off Exploding Fruitcake. I mean, Exploding Fruitcake is probably going to hurt pretty bad. Um, Sometimes it will eat an Exploding Fruitcake. If it eats an Exploding Fruitcake, then I think you feel pretty good. You know, I would much rather have that get hit by that than, um, I don't know, something bigger than that. Like, if you know what you're doing and you don't get unlucky, this card's floor is a good trade. No kidding. And we're back. And finally, after holidays and sleep schedules and power outages and balance change updates, we finally bring you the Barry Spadow episode. An episode that has been in the can so long... It has started to die. Yeah, um, so this is uh, maybe less celebration and more eulogy. Um, we don't know when that balance patch is coming, but um, if the preliminary changes we've seen are any indication, uh, Barry's really going to take it on the chin uh, this time around. But um, as we've said, uh, I think we both believe that the Barry deck will continue in some form, um, you know, probably not putting up the numbers that it's currently doing, but I would expect them to look pretty much like this, or at least contain most of this um, 
this hardcore. So uh, regular listeners will know all about this, but just in case you're new, we've got a bunch of Barry Spadow decks that we solicited from the community, and we've got them all arranged in a spreadsheet here that you can find in the show notes. And we will be just kind of walking down the list, going either card by card or clump by clump. Uh, and so the first thing I would say is the cards that are common to every deck or just about every deck. And that would be, um, starting at the top of the list, we got Berry Blast, 47 out of a possible 48 copies. Uh, we got 12 decks here, so if everybody's running 4 decks, we got 48. One person, which I believe is actually you, Mike, is running only 3 of them, so we got 47. Yep, Tell that is that. me. I am the one holding this up, and I... I really cannot explain this. I have not tinkered with the Barry Spadow deck in a little while, but I don't know. I guess I wanted to run a package involving like a bunch of weird cards we're going to talk about later. Since Spadow gets the Meteor superpower, I kind of feel like, hey, that's one of my Barry Blasts right there. I guess so, but I mean, I think um, one of the very strong things about this deck is the fact that you get such a good burn spell that can also go face, and so two damage deal three anywhere is just like a really, really premium card, most especially because in the late game, if you need some extra reach, it can go face, um, and so like, I would say that in probably every game of Barry Spadal that I play, um, I end up pointing at least one Barry Blast to the face. Yeah, sure, and like, I think this is also a commentary on my deck building habits where I will... If I have the choice between running 4x of some things or 3x of some more things, I'll go towards the three copies of more stuff. A little more interesting, a little more variety. That is fair. Um, so next up on the list, coming in at, once again, everybody playing it, um, slightly less than maxing out. we got Sergeant Strongberry. Uh, we got 45 out of a possible 48 copies. Just about everybody seems to believe that this should be a 4 of. I have a feeling that the people who aren't running 4 uh, probably are either in a free-to-play context or... Um, you know, just kind of art emphasizing the entire Barry package. Yeah, and right below Strongberry, pretty much on the same tier of, of saturation, are uh, three Barry cards that were not part of the original set and are really a lot of why this deck has really taken off into the next level, and that being High Voltage Current, Strawberry, and, and Shelf Mushroom. The latter of those three are uh, two of the victims of the upcoming changes. So I guess it was kind of apt to uh, show, like, yeah, it turns out that three of the most common cards in this kind of deck are three of the ones that we're going to try and make a little bit weaker. So, yeah, good on good on them for balancing the cards that people are using a lot of. Yeah, um, so High Voltage Current, of course, um, the event card that was kind of like a Cosmic Berry. This is just kind of a one-drop, one-one berry that conjures a berry. It's also got an extra rider, but that conjure is pretty much why you play it. Yeah, uh, Kabloom not really known for its Conjure stuff, and this one definitely a big helpful engine if you're going to run things like uh, like Triceratops and the Velociradishes, which we have a little bit lower on the list. Yeah, and I mean, just on a personal note, this is the kind of card I like a lot. Um, you know, I think Hearthstone players will be familiar with the idea of like a one cost one one or maybe a one two that uh, that gives you a random card. So like um, Swashbuckler, um, I think there was a Beast that did this. There was also Web Spinner and stuff. Babbling Book babbling book there you go um like a one drop that gives you a random card very easy and reasonably safe place to put powerpoints um and just adds a lot of variety to a game um and it's one of those things that uh born digital card games like this can uh, can really do very well yeah in, in hearthstone it has the advantage of being a good thing to play on turn one but not the kind of thing that will let you pull so far ahead on tempo that you'll win if you curve out like this but uh the the current has a little bit of a, an advantage over that in that it can gain a bunch of attack really quickly. So if you want to combine it with something like a like a Sour Grapes or a, a Strawberry in turn, then you can 
get this thing up to like five or six attack really quickly? Yeah, I would say that the curve out based power um, really is in the latter two of these three um, shelf mushroom into strawberryian. That's a very, very good way of just kind of getting some card advantage, taking control of the board and uh, and ensuring that your your legion of berries that come down after strawberryian have uh, something very strong to build off of. Or just having a little bit of a survivor left over to use to fuel up a uh, strawberry and to get the berry blast. Or if they're trying to like trade with the X1, you can make it a 3-3. Yeah, for sure. The fact that um, you've got kind of like a good curve that uh, causes an evolution um, can mean that your opponent's like counting on making a good trade uh, can be kind of messed with. Although Strawberry becoming a 3-2 is going to pretty dramatically... Um, didn't we also see that Strawberryian is also losing? Um, Strawberryian isn't going to ping in its own lane anymore. Yeah, we completely forgot to mention that on the show last week because neither of us read very carefully. But yeah, Strawberryian will no longer hit the three lanes around it. It'll now hit diagonally like a Rotobega. So the thing in front of it will be a lot more likely to trade with it on a turn that say a like if you have Strawberryian and Sergeant Strongberry on the field, the Strawberryian's a little bit less invincible. Yeah, I mean, combined with losing a point of health, I think that that is going to take a pretty sizable bite out of uh, out of Strawberryian crime, um, and uh, Strawberryian will no longer be like the ultra dominant board control machine, um, which I think will be a welcome change. They clearly put tons and tons of power points into that card for that was set four, was that set three? Four, four, yeah. And uh, so taping that down, I think, is pretty reasonable. And uh, next up on the list, we got a couple of really good utility cards in Gravebuster and Fireweed, in case you want to deal with environments or gravestones. Those first five were really kind of the package that comprises just about every berry deck, kind of no matter who's playing it. You can kind of add Fireweed to that list. Ironically enough, also getting nerfed, you know, it's just kind of like a value Kabloom card that's kind of too good not to run. Um, and uh, Gravebuster, of course, is just like everybody's favorite uh, technology for a very common zombie tactic. Yeah, it's why Spadao is the predominant berry hero instead of, like, Solar Flare or Combustible. I agree with that. Um, although uh, I saw berry decks out of both Solar Flare and Captain Combustible in the tournament that put a pretty big hurting on me. So, um, you know, the difference, while tangible, uh, may be marginal. Yeah, well, thankfully, all of those different uh, Kabloom heroes will be taking the hit and not just Spadao. Yeah, for sure. And notably, Gravebuster um, comes in at 24 copies, so like 50% of possible copies. So everything else with that card in below is at or below 50% of the possible inclusion. So yeah. this is kind of where the long tail starts. Yeah, uh, people running things like Forget-Me-Nut and Galacticactus and uh, Shamrocket. Like, I'm, I thought Shamrocket would see a little more presence. I think we're running into that thing again where... Oh yeah, a lot of people are playing this, but they're playing like two copies of it in the uh, in the numbers of these here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way to go um, with things like Sham like so imitator also at that level. You know, I think that the the imitator Sergeant Strongberry thing is definitely very strong, but that like you're kind of better suited towards those utility cards being you know two and three ofs rather than the full four X. And uh, so you know, especially in terms of uh, photosynthesizer, which I'm not running, but you are. And um, Forget-Me-Nuts, uh, well, Forget-Me-Nuts, I would say, like, is actually probably good enough to max out on um, because it really can hobble your opponent pretty hard. And it's not just a turn one play, um, whereas, like, things like Imitator that, like, if you don't play it on turn three and have a Sergeant Strongberry on turn four, it kind of isn't doing very much. You know, like, that's the kind of thing that is a little bit more narrow. 
Yeah, but Imitator you can also hold in your hand until turn 7 and get out double berries in one turn. Turn seven's a long time away, though, with a deck like this. I mean, this deck is is very good at killing you before then. Yeah, but it also is suited towards clearing the field with things like Strawberry and, and Sour Grapes. So, like, it's reasonable that you'll wipe each other out a couple of times, and then turn 7 you need to restock, and you you restock with an infinite damage combo. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's true. So Sour Grapes is one of the things that um, I think is interesting because it's um, it's only in about half the decks. Notably, I'm not running it, but you are. And I think it's definitely a very good field clear with Sergeant Strongberry. I think the fact that it also buffs High Voltage Current is is pretty marginal because, like, even if High Voltage Current gets big, it's still going to be like a 5-1. And uh, 5-1, you know, is pretty fragile. And I can definitely see why it's good, but... I think that in my version of the deck, which is the the first deck listed here, um, you know, I'm spending a lot of of deck slots on things like Galactic Cactus, Triceratops, Reincarnation, Velociradish Hunter, um, things that are just like basically good rates. Whereas like four cost two two just like kind of screams bad rate, even if it does combo with other things in the deck. Yeah, I think it's very likely that when set four came out and we got two awesome new berry cards that had to go into our berry spit out decks and we started like, okay, well, what do I need to cut from my current berry deck in order to make room for these guys? And if you have a cool new toy like Strawberryan that gives you a, a reduced field clear effect, you're going to try. It's like, okay, I can I can use this and pass it off. It's like good enough the same field clear as hitting all five lanes from Sour Grapes. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sour Grapes go up in playability after Strawberry and gets nerfed. I would agree with that. Um, I would also expect to see the stock rise on uh, Photosynthesizer um, as a you know easy way to protect your stuff. Um, that also, like, a lot of those value creatures that I mentioned before have Dino Roar. That's the kind of thing that uh, Photosynthesizer will help with as well. Let's talk about some of the heavy hitters. So we got Grapes of Wrath is probably the heaviest hitter on here that's in the largest quantity. Pretty closely beneath that is Hibernating Berry, which uh, doesn't really do the same thing that Grapes of Wrath does, but is also like kind of capable of getting hugely giant, you know? And uh, so what would you say about those things? Well, I mean, any deck running Galactic Cactus and Fireweed, I don't really need to be convinced any further to try throwing a couple of berries in there. Like, I like that nobody's running four of them. It is definitely a run this card sparingly and, you know, pick your times when to put it in there because it does compete with a lot of very high power three drops that uh, some of which we've talked about the pair of velociradishes which i really love putting in any deck with photosynthesizer and high voltage current like i definitely try and take advantage of all the conjure stuff and it just being a really hard card to deal with in general uh, up against things like pogo bouncer or like rolling stone like you can get a good trade off of this and still have a a decent thing on the board left over. Yeah, you couldn't see, but I was nodding when you said that. Um, I, I think that Velociraptor is excellent. Um, I'm playing 4X of the Legendary version, kind of shying away from some of the um, uh, fancier stuff, like so, you know, not really doing the imitator thing, um, kind of treading pretty lightly on uh, Grapes of Wrath. I'm actually playing both Galactic Cactus and Fireweed, but not Hibernating Berry, just because I think Hibernating Berry is, like, your opponent can ignore it, um, in which case it's like only as good as you sink further resources into it. And kind of the great thing about this deck is that like all the cards in it function very well without needing tons of additional commitment. Whereas, um, you know, as good as Galactic Cactus and stuff is, I don't think that it's a super great enabler for hibernating berry just by itself. Um, I kind of would want some other stuff in there. I, I talked about this very briefly on the show last week, but I think that 
after Fireweed gets nerfed, then Hibernating Berry gets a little bit better in a Spadao deck like this where you're running Fireweed and Hibernating Berry because it's a lot more likely you'll be able to curve turn 2 Fireweed into turn 3 Berry on the open hot lava instead of having that 3-1 that you have to wait and Right, that's die. true. Yes, very true. Okay, then after that, uh, we've got the first um, environment, or I think actually the only, well, no, there's some environments in the long tail, um, but the most common environment, uh, probably not too surprisingly, is Spikeweed Sector, coming in at a 25% of maximum copies. Yeah, well, you know, if you're going to run Strawberry and you already don't care about Garg Throwing Garg, so you might as well <laughs> go full don't care about Garg Throwing Garg, or I guess, you know, hope you have a Shamrocket ready for it. Yeah, that's legit. And also, um, it's I kind of lied. The f- the first environment on the list was fireweed creating the hot lava. There's like a ba- there's like a basic hot lava. One of the submitted decks is playing that like further down on the list, uh, which I think is pretty reasonable. Um, but you know, spikeweed sector is just very very efficient at doing what it does. And uh, especially if you want to protect something like uh, Sergeant Strongberry, you know, like Sergeant Strongberry, while good, um, is like reasonably squishy. Certainly will be squishy after it gets nerfed. And so giving a little bit of extra punishment for playing creatures in that lane so that like you know it can't trade with a 3-2 uh would be pretty good do you think it's fair to say that barry spadow is like a 30 card deck with a bunch of flex slots at the end um i think that it's certainly at minimum a 20 card deck because 4x berry blast strongberry current strawberryan and shelf mushroom is pretty much what you want there is a lot of agreement in the community that there are some other things that kind of are attached to the outside of that core, like Fireweed and Gravebuster and stuff. 30 cards, I don't know I'd go quite that far, but I agree with you in principle. Um, it's probably like, you know, 24, 25 cards that like you pretty much want to be running all the time. And then what's left is just kind of up to your personal style. I'm surprised that no one here is trying out Poppin' Poppies to, like, add healing as another thing that... Uh, Spadow alone has access to in a berry deck. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm guessing um, that if you're playing Kabloom, you would rather like if you're going to the late game like that, you'd rather send damage to the dome rather than heal yourself. If you think about healing yourself versus dealing damage to your opponent as opposite things, uh, Grapes of Wrath and Pop and Poppies are kind of the two things that fit in that same space, um, mm. and so like. I would think that, um, like, if you're going to have kind of like a reasonably clunky six or seven drop, um, if you're going to have access to Kabloom cards, since so much of your cards deal damage to the face anyway, you'd rather have a Haymaker that damages the face than a Haymaker that saves you. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I I just, I like Poppies in Spadow because you get that superpower that gives your entire field plus one, plus one, a little extra value from that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's legit. But I also like using that just on, like, you know, say, turn one, forget-me-nut. Turn two, cactus, plus one, plus one. And then you have a 3-2 and a 3-3 bullseye. That's pretty gross. Yeah, Spadao is cool. Like, I, it took me a long time and a lot of uh, Kabloom and Guardian Power Creep for me to really get a hang of what a good Spadao deck felt like. But now there's a, there's a lot of really cool things you can do with this uh, combination of colors. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm a sucker for a burn spell anyway. So um, the fact that I get to play, like cool, interesting, well-statted creatures, and also burn spells uh, really kind of uh, speaks to the magic player in me. So we're getting into the long tail here. Uh, so, Mike, why don't you pull out uh, something from this list of uncommon inclusions and talk about why you like it? All right, uh, let me pull out everything that is on this chart explicitly because of my free-to-play deck. 
okay. if That's you're looking good. at the spreadsheet, it is uh, the third deck, column D, and just look down at the bottom where I'm running a bunch of random one-offs of like Molokale and Guacodile and Tough Beats and Plantern and Primal Potato Mine and uh, Primal Walnut and a whole bunch of things to round out the end because I don't have Strawberry and I don't have Shelf... I have one Shelf Mushroom on this, so I had to find other cards to help round out the back half of this deck. And since I'm running Spikeweed already, since I don't, I only have one Fireweed, they're like, okay, sure, let's put Plantern in there. And I've got a single Triceratops on the account. It's like, okay, that is probably good enough reason for me to run a Primal Walnut. And Primal Walnut also gets you a bunch of really good late-game cards, and late-game cards are usually super rare. Yeah, you know, you kind of took it in more of a sort of generic mid-range strategy. Certainly, like, that's kind of what Molokale is for in this game. Um, like, you know, 4 cost 3 to evolve your team. There's not tons of, like, specific evolve-based uh, value that you can get in this game, unlike Hearthstone. And so that's just more, like, kind of equivalent to, like, an Anthem. Kind of equivalent to, like, buffing your team. Um, you just kind of don't know what the buff is going to look like before you play it. Yeah, you're really hoping that one thing on your field turns into a winner. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, we've we've spilled quite a bit of audio ink about how great Guacodile is, um, just as, like, kind of a value creature kind of uh, saves your ass in a multitude of circumstances, uh, very good at blocking and killing big nasty things, um, and so, like, if you're trying to de-emphasize the berry synergy and emphasize just, like, the kind of card quality wherever you can find it, I think that Guacodile is a good piece. It's also an amphibious presence, which is not usually a thing you have in a berry deck. Very true. Um, Alright, so one thing that I wanted to call attention to is one of the uh, berry event cards that um, did not really make its way onto that list very much, it's only in one deck and only as a two of, is Electric Blueberry, 05. Five cost, 05. That says, um, after combat here, deal six damage to a random zombie or the zombie's face. And I think this is a really cool card. Um, I think this kind of does the same kind of thing that Hibernating Berry sort of wants to do. It kind of wants to sit there, you know, maybe tank a little bit of damage, um, and then, like, you know trade for maybe one or two things um, with the with the side effect that this can sometimes just kind of send a giant lava axe to their face. Um, Funny you say lava axe, because I was immediately thinking of uh, Ragnaros the Berry Lord. Oh, sure. Well, lava axe is a, uh, is a magic card. Deal five to your opponent's face. Ah, okay. um, and so, you know, I actually never made the lava axe Ragnaros correction, connection until just right now, but... Uh, yeah, ain't that some shit. Anyway, so like I think that part of why um, this seems to have not made the cut in in most of the decks that we got here is that it uh, it really asks you to play a different kind of game than um, than the rest of the berries do. The, what the rest of the berries do want to be in their fighting. They want you to be in control of the board. They want the game to be fast because when the opponent plays a card, um, you want to use your cards to efficiently kill it so that you can get the damage into their face right away. Whereas with this, kind of wants you to dirtle. Like, the more times combat happens with this thing alive, the more value you're getting off of it. It's kind of equivalent to, um, like, a Witch Hazel in that way. Kind of something that just kind of wants to sit there and get you incremental value over time. And in addition to that, um, one of the ways that's kind of offset 
is by um, having the target be random and having the randomness include your opponent's face. If I remember correctly, in the in the Electric Blueberry Card of the Week segment, I said that the fact that your opponent's face is in the mix actually makes this a bit weaker. Um, that like if this really wanted to be a control card, what the control deck would want to do is use this to control the board because there's already very efficient ways of slamming a nasty creature that will kill them by dealing damage to their face in control decks anyway. You can kind of pick one of a number of very powerful cards to do that. Whereas if this could only machine gun creatures, it would be much more effective at what it did. In addition to that, you also have the danger of, oh, surprise, you proc your opponent's block meter with your 0-5. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely some some feel-bads kind of inherent in that. Going face can be enough of a problem, but going face and not even get the damage, man, that is the worst. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, if you want to play Electric Blueberry in Spadao, make a 3-nut deck. And focus on that. Like, don't try and squeeze it into a berry deck running a strong berry and all of that. Put it into a 3-nut deck because that is the the platform I had the most success with it. And you also can run stuff like Pop and Poppies. And Electric Blueberry might not be the best meta call, but it is, like, pretty fun to have a 3-5 that also does the deal 6 to a thing. That is an interesting idea, and I will consider that. Yeah. It was the berry spadow I ran before I tried a serious berry spadow. Seems good. Oh, and I guess there is one other berry here. Well, actually, I guess there's a few other berries. So so also in the long tail is Wild Berry, the two-cost 4-1 that moves to a random lane, which actually uh, was instrumental in me uh, getting killed in the tournament uh, earlier uh, a few episodes ago. And uh, so that, I think, is cool. Certainly, like, doesn't have the, the survivability of um, the rest of the cards in the berry package, but it does hit pretty damn hard um, and is a fine follow-up to Strawberryan. Because um, if the Strawberryan is reasonably well positioned, um, kind of whatever this moves in front of um, will have been a recipient of a Strawberryan ping. So, you know, it's that much more likely to have been killed and let the Wildberry get through. I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, it is a little strange that Wildberry is so underrepresented in this. But in a deck like Agro Solar Flare, you see way more of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I think it's um, it's much more of a card like Haunted Pumpkin or something like that that says like, it's high stats for low cost, and the disadvantage is that it gives your opponent card advantage. In Haunted Pumpkin, you actually give them a card. With Wild Berry, you present a thing that's very easy to them, easy for them to kill without having to spend a full card. Like so, you know, they might spend one half of the like make two backup dancers spell, and then that trades with your Wild Berry, um, and then so they got a one and a half for one kind of thing. And uh, then the then the other one kind of fits into a similar scenario as uh, as. Uh, electric blueberry we got the cherry bomb the uh six cost uh flame strike basically deal four damage here and next door this is definitely a uh a board control card kind of uh bigger and heavier board control card than um ended up coming later into the berry scenario um you know i think that cherry bomb is a very conservatively powered card whereas something like strawberryan is like much much more kind of dangerously pushed um, and so, like, in the event that you're fighting fair, uh, Cherry Bomb is a great inclusion. Um, but I think that the the hardcore of the Barry Spadow deck shows um, that you have a lot of avenues for not fighting fair. And so the, the fairer cards, like Cherry Bomb, end up kind of relegated to the bottom. Another way you can not fight fair is by conjuring a Cherry Bomb off High Voltage Current and using it later. Haha, uh-huh, yes. All right. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say about this? Maybe, like what to do if you're up against it uh yeah so what to do if you're up against it is to not give them good trades um and so what that would mean is 
kill their Strawberrian with a removal spell rather than by trying to block it with a creature because you will almost never actually kill Strawberrian with a creature. Try to snipe the Sergeant Strongberry at your earliest opportunity um, because the longer that sticks around, uh, the less likely you are to have creatures and the more likely you are to take an arbitrary amount of damage to the face. Yeah, hold on to your Squirrel Herder until you think a, a Sergeant Strongberry is on the field and also maybe run in some other gravestones in case you're worried about Gravebuster killing your Squirrel Herder. Yeah, for sure. I would say that um, Squirrel Herd, if you're if you're playing a Beastly deck, Squirrel Herder is kind of an auto-include just because there's so much power in the berry uh, package, you know, that I think even after the nerfs, um, we're going to see a pretty good amount of Squirrel Herder because um, these cards will still be around. Stuff with armor, also good. Like Yeah, it's true. Anything that can help you negate that first damage from a Strawberrian or a Sour Grapes will also negate the infinite damage following from the two Strongberries and help you be able to get a big trade and maintain control of the field. And, like, be aware of the bigger threats you're dealing with. Like, if you have, say, if you're the Smash and you have the Smash's ultimate superpower, save that for a Sergeant Strongberry. Don't use it on, like, a like a Fireweed on turn two like I did, like an idiot. Yeah, for sure. So, like, threat assessment is, is always key in kind of understanding... Um, what the pieces are that you have to pull out of the puzzle in order to make it all fall apart. As annoying as something like a, a Strawberrian can be, if you know that in the later game, Strawberrian will be less harmful to you because you've either got threats with armor, maybe you got Garg throwing Garg, different things like that. Um, the things that are going to enable them to go over top of you are the, the cards like Sergeant Strongberry. So you want to save your um, scenario for that. I think... The favorite, my, my favorite all-time way I've ever cleared a board full of berries is by playing a gas giant on the hot lava from their fireweed and <laughs> giving, it, giving it deadly. Damn, that's... Yeah. Uh... So, like, yeah, just before it could even attack me, and I think it even had strike through from a sun strike that turn, it just killed everything on the field, and then I hit for five. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I guess that's also why there's no zombie environment that works like hot lava. Also legit. Yeah, I would say um, if you want to beat Barry Spadow, I think you're in luck that there are things in Barry Spadow that are actively pushing against the powers that these cards have. So Squirrel Herder being a big one, I think probably you could do worse than Bonus Track Buckethead. Uh, Bonus Track Buckethead will survive um, a Strawberryian hit. Um, it won't survive a um, Sergeant Strongberry hit, but it will trade with it once Sergeant Strongberry becomes a 4-3 again. And that, um... It'll, yeah, sur just... it'll survive a trade with it. It'll... Because it's a 3-4 with armor. So yeah, do that. That sounds pretty dirty. Yeah, or Space Cowboy. Space Cowboy legit as well. Alright, so uh, that's gonna do it for our at-long-last Barry Spadow segment. Yes, episode 5 dozen. Oh yeah, nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad that we were able to finally get this out the door. I'm glad that we were able to actually do it before the balance patch landed. Um, yeah, I, I, it was a nice little shot in the arm for Barry Spadow being in the in the discourse, knowing that it was about to get knocked from King of the Hill. And uh, now we can uh, move on to doing another one of these at some point. I have no idea what we're doing next. Um, well, if we've been doing our standard rhythm, um, we would do a zombie deck next. I think uh, Gravestone Neptuna was on the list. Maybe something else. I'm not sure. Dance deck, maybe. Do we do sports? Not yet. Yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely... There's ones to do. I think what we should do is... I want to set up a uh, like a straw poll and put it in the Discord yeah, channel go. and be like, okay, we're going to cover a sports. Which hero should we do it about? And then have them vote for which hero we should do it about. 
Oh, I mean, I think if we were going to do, sp- I think that what we should do if we're going to do a straw poll is say is pick the hero and the deck. So if we could do like Sports Smash, uh, Gravestone Neptuna, you some, know, some, some kind of infinity, some kind of infinity, and then like Dancer Boogaloo, uh, just like uh, Amp Infinity. Yeah, sure. Because we did Pet Brain Freeze, didn't we? Mm, no, I don't think. We... Oh, I thought we did. Okay, well then, then shit. Then we got five good ones. So then we'll have a, we'll just do all those. Okay, yeah. Um, I guess Future Michael makes straw poll. Cool. Um, and then, so y'all can vote on what we do then. Um, then I think uh, the next plant one is probably going to, well, so I mean, do you think we would do a segment like this for that aggro rose deck? Um, or do you think that that's like kind of not widely distributed enough in the community uh, for people to have like really brewed with it? And so that we should just like do a segment about it just kind of on our own? Yeah, I think like aggro smarty, we could do a thing about sometime and not do a crowd decking out of it. Like I would rather do something a little more mainstream, like maybe like a repeat moss combustible. Oh yeah, that's legit. Yeah, and then I think so. Something else that I mentioned in the Discord channel um, is that I think we're kind of overdue for another YouTube fight episode. Could maybe do one of those um... after the balance change. After the balance change, certainly after the balance change, I don't know uh, how busy we're both going to be around the holidays, um, but we could make like a New Year's thing out of it probably, and uh, yeah, play play some some stuff that we've um, come up with since the last time we did one of those. There should be some interesting stuff to try. Yeah, and until then, uh, we would like you to drop by iTunes and give us a review. Five stars, I think, right? Yeah, we want five, right? Yeah, that's the number of stars that we want. Um, but uh, we also want you to drop by the Discord uh, and say, hey, uh, talk to us about the show. Talk to us about what you want to see. You know, we we like talking to people in there, and it's a pretty lively room. Uh, there's, you know, uh, like a few dozen messages a day, um, so, like, not too unmanageable. Yeah, yeah, I always like when a, when a conversation starts rolling in there and finding out when somebody listens to the show and hearing them reply to something we said and then being able to talk a bunch about that with them. I always like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so come check us out there. We've also got our tip jar in the show notes, uh, Shroom for Two, on Cash App. So if you want to give us some cash money dollars, we won't say no to that. Uh, but until then, I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. See you next week, everybody. Bury me at sea. Dude, how about Tumblr, right? Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Did you see their stock price and how it like cratered? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the giant hole in the ground. Fuck that. I, I believe it's called a dead cat curve. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, man. Pour one out for porn Tumblr. Thoughts and prayers. Oh my yeah. God. It, I am really kind of worried about what this level of displacement of horny people will do to the rest of the internet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I um, hearing people talk about going to new grounds, which I didn't even know was still a thing. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Hey, I'm, I'm all for like innovation in the X rated stuff space on the internet because like quote unquote respectable websites, you know, which is to say websites run by giant conglomerates, um, kind of don't want to touch that stuff and like payment processors don't want to process payments for that stuff. And so it just kind of ends up shoveling everything into this kind of dark corner of the internet where like you know, hucksters and, uh, like, kind of scammy credit card uh, people and pimps. end up taking over everything. Yeah, and, like, yeah, to, to say nothing for, like, the people that are actually trying to make their living doing that stuff. And so, you know, maybe this will, in the long run, end up being good, but it's certainly bad for uh, people looking for random porno, and it cer- certainly seems bad for Tumblr. Yeah, they've all run into the uh, unfortunate high-end business decision of 
not supporting this content is easier than properly moderating it. And right, rather yeah. than fight all of the like child pornographers and spam bots, rather just blanket ban all of them and focus on being more wholesome and family friendly. And I also I believe that Apple has kind of twisted Tumblr's arm into doing this because they delisted the Tumblr app from the App Store like a couple of weeks ago. So I think that some of this might be Tumblr caving into Apple pressure to get relisted on the App Store. Well, I also saw a thing that was saying something about Verizon. I don't know if Verizon Verizon owns Tumblr. Okay, so is does Verizon own Yahoo or did Verizon buy Tumblr from Yahoo? I don't know. I would I'm going to assume that Verizon bought Yahoo, but I'm going to start let me get our stats and research department on that. Regardless of whatever the sitch, like Verizon is kind of the the overlord happening um and that it was basic like I saw a relatively coherent write-up i guess on twitter is where the only place i would have seen it that verizon basically didn't want to sell ads next to porn um that this this sort of purge of x-rated stuff on tumblr had been like in the works for a long time because verizon didn't really want to have that as a part of their like ad portfolio and that either the apple thing or just kind of other executive pressure stuff was like the straw that broke the camel's back and they fast-tracked the purge, which like is what kind of caused the hiccups in the last few little while. Yeah, because the searching function got kind of shadow banned for any kind of adult tags. Right. Meanwhile, like all the Nazis and shit are still on there. Okay, so apparently Verizon bought Yahoo for a little under five billion dollars two years ago. Damn, that's crazy. God, remember Yahoo? I do remember Yahoo. Yeah, fantasy football kingpins. Shit, I remember like playing fucking Scrabble on Yahoo Games. Oh yeah, I played a bunch of Domino's. Like a fucking Java plugin or whatever. Oh, I think I met my first internet girlfriend in a Domino's chat room, come to think of it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Two thousand three that was, just to make everyone listening feel young. Oh, is this a stinger now? I don't know. This might be a mid segment. Um, I'm I, well I kinda the... wanna talk about this on the record. Sure. Well uh, it, well just to to be slightly more meta for a moment. I like unrelated stingers in shows, but I do not like unrelated pre-rolls or unrelated mid-time tangents. Okay. Um, because that just makes me feel like the host just had their heads up their ass. Um, and it's like, let's sit here and talk about how much Charlie Kirk is a dumbass before we talk about whatever, you know. Are you naming a specific to... thing you listened to recently? Uh, I might be. <laughs> but um, it's more just like, hey uh, – Let's not do the show before the show. I think not doing the show after the show is more uh, palatable to me as a listener. Okay, that's fair. And this has hit like five minutes at this point. And I, I've gotten, I've done like little quick sneak convos in, like in the middle of like, oh yeah, like week, Space but, Jam and shit. Yeah, but like, this one's probably gone on too long for that. So yeah, I'll probably scrap the other stinger and use this instead because I do want to go on record and. Uh, Express my sympathies to porn tumbler, whether you be questioning queer youth or horny lurking boomer. Yeah, I mean that's definitely that is something that I think is probably a pretty legitimate um, downside to this is that like all this anti-porn stuff, like on you see this on YouTube too, will end up flagging like trans stuff or um, other things like that. Um, that kind of all gets swept up in that like you know someone in I don't know Oklahoma would find this distasteful so we have to hit it with the band hammer um and you know as um as much shit as tumblr got for um kind of inculcating a very 
um, unpleasant culture, uh, it certainly did help a lot of um, people who were just kind of trying to figure out what their deal was or who were trying to find um, like-minded misfits. Uh, Tumblr was very good at bringing those people together um, and having those people lose that space is going to be a pretty big bummer, certainly for them. Yeah, well, maybe they can join one of the 45,000 Discord servers that have popped up in the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they also followed uh, porn accounts that will take them somewhere. And I mean, you know, um, it's not like there's not places to post fan fiction on the internet. Um, I'm sure they'll figure something out. Ironically, all of the written porn on Tumblr is going to stay, but there's already really good websites set up specifically for written porn. (laughs) Yeah, and I've actually heard um, a few of the uh, not safe for work uh, artists that I followed on Tumblr. Um, people saying that, like, yeah, none of my stuff's been been flagged because, like, maybe because maybe because I was really like lazy about tagging my stuff, you know. <laughs> but like, if the if you weren't using the tag stuff, that like, there seems to be some amount of like, you know, OCR uh, image recognition stuff that's happening. Oh, yeah. Try to find stuff. But, like, it seems to be that most of it was just kind of a straight tag dump. Um, And so, like, if you were drawing porno and it wasn't tagged NSFW or something, um, there's a reasonable chance that you you got passed over. Imagine being one of the herbs that has to go through and come up with tags to blacklist as porn for Tumblr as a living. Do you think that guy likes his job? I think it's definitely more of a stew with pudding than a Lisa with coffee uh, <laughs> scenario. Just the, um, the full spectrum of emotions. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have those on two ends of a spectrum, I think it's probably closer to the stew end. I think there's a certain kind of person who might find some fun in that. But, uh, you know, certainly playing whack-a-mole with, like, keeping um, porno fan art out of the named tags for, like, kids' shows and stuff like, I bet that person hates their job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you basically have to spend all day looking at, like, you know, uh, what's a show? Teen Titans porn. And, uh, like, that's, I mean, in terms of, like, people on the internet that have to do that sort of thing, um, I would much rather be that person than the people who have to, like, watch videos on Facebook to take them down if they're, like, beheadings. Yeah, Jesus um, Christ. Because that's definitely a thing. And those people definitely got, like, Mondo PTSD. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like pretty much everything about Tumblr sucks now. Yeah, so that puts it in line with pretty much every other major website. And uh, I guess one last note. There is something to be said for people being on a website for too long. Like, if you look at the recent history of internet social bubbles, it seems like they've all kind of stagnated to like the big facebook twitter tumblr discord reddit like everyone's kind of like it used to be there were a lot of different forums and chat rooms people would float between throughout the years and we've all kind of pulled up in more or less final destinations so if those big huge ones become so awful people just mass migrate leave from them then that's not the worst thing in the world i suppose so i mean um that ends up getting to be more of a conversation about like algorithms being shitty and stuff. Mm. Um, you know, like I think that, um, in, for example, a world where every brand of weirdo has their own, 
what's the software like? Whatever that software is that every forum would run on. Like you know how every forum B- was BBS? looked the same. BBS, yeah, or no, but it was it was like BB something was. I mean, BBS is like a category of thing, but there was some like WordPress style software that you could install, and then you had a forum. I forget what it was called, but so basically, everybody running their own forum for whatever their own weird thing was meant that if like one site was particularly toxic, especially with something like algorithmic recommendations. The amount of damage it would do is pretty limited. But now that like everybody's on YouTube and everybody's on Facebook and everybody's on Twitter, when their algorithm decides like, hey, let's boost ISIS beheadings today. Let's see what happens there. Um, then like the ripple effects of that go out much further. So like that's kind of my concern about the platform centralization, especially when it allows like some of those bad decisions are like Tumblr banning porn, which is now like if, you know, LiveJournal banned porn, um, there probably wouldn't be as big of a problem. Uh, but you know, now that Tumblr was like, even in terms of giant social networks, not that giant, you know, now they have to, um, everybody has to deal with whatever their dumb reasoning was and that sucks.